can welcome everyone back to our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House and our day with Father Timothy Gallagher, especially looking at the life and the writings of Venerable Bruno Lantari and the uh, message that he gives of overcoming spiritual discouragement. So we're just, again, happy to have Father Gallagher with us, and, and I think we can go ahead and get started. Okay. Uh, we'll start here. So welcome back. I said, it still seems a little funny to be alone in a room and welcoming everybody back, but it's the marvel of being together uh, via technology. And it was nice just to see that uh, video again. It took us three years to put that together. As you can see, a lot of that was filmed on location. Um, very grateful that we have it. Now, before we pick up with the material, I do want to mention, as uh, Father Coulter said before we uh, at our break this morning, that uh, I will be happy to answer any questions you may have if you'd like to be sending them to Father Coulter. We'll try to have time for that um, uh, later and before we conclude. Now, there are two ways to get to know a holy person, one of these figures whose cause of canonization is advanced, or any of the saints. And one is what we did this morning and what will continue now, and that is to learn about this person. And the other is to pray to this person in the communion of saints to actually uh, relate to this person. And we do that through prayer. So I'd like to suggest that as we open this afternoon, that we take a moment to say a prayer together, uh, the prayer for the cause of canonization of Venerable Bruno, but it's a prayer in which we present our needs to him. And I wanna preface that by if you'll allow me uh, sharing how it's seven years ago, I began saying that prayer every day uh, as I start the day. 10 years ago, I uh, was, a number of things happened at the same time. My dad passed away and so suddenly the family had to care for my mom. And so I was spending some time in a parish nearby uh, attending to my usual occupations, but also helping her which was a blessing, but it made things very busy. And I continued to travel for a lot of public speaking seminars and retreats. And at the same time, had some very intensive writing going on. Well, the body found its way to tell me that it just couldn't sustain this. And so I began to lose my voice to such a degree that I had to cancel all of my speaking engagements. The doctor first tried to resolve things through medication, that didn't work. We had a surgery, complications from that surgery led to a second surgery two weeks later. And over the course of the next three years, I had four more vocal surgeries. And as you can imagine, it got pretty discouraging. Uh, each time you have one of these surgeries, you, um, you basically have to stop speaking for a while. And then very gradually over a number of weeks, you can begin to speak simply and then eventually more. But a lot of my ministry had to be canceled, um, one relapse after another. It got discouraging with the sense, is this ever going to change? Will I ever have a normal voice again and be able to do normal ministry? And I don't know why it took me this long, but uh, three years into this, it suddenly occurred to me, why don't you say the prayer to Venerable Bruno every day asking for the gift of your voice? And I began to do that. And then things started to happen. So for example, I was on a trip 
um, ran out of a certain medication I was taking for something else. And um, the refill got lost in the mail. So I went without it for a few weeks and found that my voice got better. For a different reason, another doctor suggested a change in diet and I did that. And uh, again, found that my voice got better. And as things like this began to multiply, I couldn't help but see the link between the prayer I was saying to Venerable Bruno every day for this intention and what was happening. Well, it's now seven years later. I haven't had any more surgeries since then. And as you can imagine, I am gonna say that prayer to him for that intention every day for the rest of my life. And other intentions are also now added when I pray it each day. I'd like to invite you, if you have the handout available, if you look on page 16, at the bottom of page 16, you'll find this prayer for his intercession for whatever needs we may have. And then um, I'll invite us to just pray this out loud in our respective locations together as we do this. So that in the communion of saints, we actually, we actually speak to him and with confidence ask his help for our needs. So let's pray together. O oh, Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Venerable Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an active love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Venerable Lanteri, Grant us the grace for which we now ask. Let's just pause in silence to present our own intentions. May he be raised to the altars that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now if we can, let's pick up, we'll conclude this second letter to Gabriella and then we'll move on to some other themes. So if you take that second uh, letter again, we're toward the latter part of the first paragraph in which he says to her, never let anything trouble you with regard to your temporal affairs and the same with respect to your faults, taking care to counteract them immediately by an act of the love of God. I just wanna add one more thing to this. In the last few years, I spent about uh, a year and a half reading pretty much all of the primary sources of uh, St. Therese, her writings. And in the course of doing this, it dawned on me how her little way originates and, and the space that it touches in our lives. It begins with a sincere desire, in her case, a very strong desire, but I think it's there in all of our hearts or we wouldn't be together this afternoon with a sincere desire to be holy, uh, for, for willing to say it to be saints, a kind of saints perhaps that will not be canonized, but genuinely saints, holy men and women. Then the immediate necessary recognition of our own inability to do that, our weakness, our failings, our sinfulness, all of that which we've been speaking about and which can discourage and weigh upon us. And at that point, we have a choice. We can either somewhat unhappily settle for less with the sense that, well, this is the best that I can hope for. Others will do better. 
in the spiritual life, but this is as much as I can hope for. Or we can do what Therese did. We can bring that very weakness and inability to correspond to the desire for holiness that God has placed in our hearts. We can bring that very weakness to God, confident that that very weakness brought with great confidence to him draws upon us graces and mercies in an overflowingly abundant way. That's the heart of her little way. It's a wonderful choice to make. Again, you don't have to settle for less. The door to holiness, to real sanctity, that middle-class holiness of which Pope Francis speaks and which Venerable Bruno enjoins upon Gabriella every day. Don't ever let yourself be discouraged by your own failings. Counteract them immediately by an act of the love of God. That door is open to all of us. And this leads Therese to her classic image of the elevator. I can't get to the top. It'd be too tiring for me, but there is an elevator that can effortlessly lift me up. And that elevator is Jesus and his grace. He continues, do not be attentive to practice the virtues of patience and gentleness, which he knows she very much needs. And so he reminds her of them. And you can make a special examination concerning this at the e in the evening and at midday. So that if this is the classic particular examination of St. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola, that specific area where we're seeking to grow. And we focus on that as the day starts, we ask the Lord's help with it. And then at some point in the mid part of the day and then toward the evening, we, we just check in as it were with the Lord to see how things are going with regard to that area. <clears throat> which for her is patience and gentleness. Now the rest of this we can almost already predict. Do not forget meditation for at least a quarter of an hour, frequently raising up your heart to God throughout the day. Remember spiritual reading as well, if it be but a single page, essentially repeating what he said in the other letter. But this is a year later, it's another reminder. Finally, do not fail to receive communion at least two or three times a week. Again, as I said before, striking in the context when communion might be once a year. Basically, he's saying stay as close to the Eucharist as you can throughout the week. I beg you to inform me about all these things, praying to the good God that he assist you in carrying them out. Now, as the letter concludes, Venerable Bruno points out to Gabriella that he might actually be able to visit her. And let's look at the reason why. It may be that I will come myself to learn how you are doing. It would be a great consolation for me again, always from the heart. And I hope for it all the more since my eyes, which grow continually weaker, will not permit me to dedicate myself to other occupations that might hinder me from coming as happened last year. So the preceding year, he wasn't able to get there at all. This year he might be. And the reason is that uh, his trouble with his eyes has worsened recently. Venerable Bruno had very uh, poor physical health throughout the entirety of his life. From early on, the, uh, his eyes were very weak. Any extended use of them could cause him to have to just give up using his eyes sometimes for days or weeks at a time. Uh, probably none of this was helped by the fact that he studied so intensely throughout his life. He uh, also had a difficulty breathing that could attack him at any time. Physical exertion could bring on these attacks. He might be prostrated again for days, sometimes for weeks at a time. 
Later in his life, he developed a problem in his arm, which needed to be bandaged and medicated. And uh, finally, gastrointestinal uh, difficulties as well. Physically, life was never easy for Venerable Bruno. And the marvel is that he just never gave up um, with a set of physical issues, which could have very easily led one to think that this is a man who will do less. Um, he remained as he was called and has been called since the man of a hundred tongues and a hundred, a hundred arms, just involved in everything. Uh, taking this initiative, encouraging that, meeting people, creating activities, uh, anything that was possible for him on behalf of the church. And this, regardless or um, notwithstanding the uh, ongoing physical struggles which he had throughout his life. If any of us uh, participating today is a person who does deal with physical issues, you meet here a man who understands you because he's been there and probably more than most of us uh, throughout the years of, of his life. Now, what Venerable Bruno is saying here is that because my eyes are getting worse right now, I'm going to have to, probably going to have to let go some of the activities that I had planned. And what that means is I'm going to have time available. And what that means is I may be able actually to come and visit and we can have an actual meeting of spiritual direction in person. It seems timely in a way, doesn't it? In a time when so, many, so much of our activity has been curtailed because of the issue, the, the virus that every, the society is dealing with. And here, Venerable Bruno is creative. Uh, he'll find a way to use the space that has opened up in, um, on behalf of the Lord to further the, the Lord's work. We have uh, a letter from this man, Blessed John Rutan, Jesuit priest, who knew Venerable Bruno quite well. He was the Jesuit superior in turn for a number of, the year, uh, of years that overlapped with Venerable Bruno's time there, and they collaborated on a number of things. Father Ruthan later became the, gen the, uh, gen the um, general of, of the Society of Jesus, and of course, his cause of canonization is well along at this point. And we have a letter, this is uh, five years before Venerable Bruno's death, in which uh, Blessed Ruthan writes to the then general of the Jesuits, and in the course of the letter tells him that he's just learned of something that Father Lanteri has done on behalf of the church. And he says, given his conditions of health and the uh, shortness of time in which he accomplished this, he said, it can only be called a miracle. And that was the ongoing miracle of Venerable Bruno's life. As I say, that he never allowed the physical sufferings which certainly weighed upon him we have letters in which he didn't expect to survive um, and this long before his actual death, but he never allowed those simply to stop him from moving ahead with the Lord's work. And he always found a way to work uh, around them and with them. A number of us will remember St. John Paul II and his last years when um, he refused to give up in spite of his uh, pronounced physical limitations. I remember the last time I saw him, this was at a papal audience at Castel Gandolfo outside of Rome. And uh, just being struck um, more than you'd even see on television when you saw him in person, you could see just um, how weak he was, how infirm, the pain with which he was obviously living. And this was a man who refused to stop. I remember 
during those years visiting an elderly retired priest who was doing his best to be as active as he could in a priestly way. And um, he uh, smiled and he said, I have the same thing the Pope has, the Parkinson's. Uh, just the Pope's witness gave him uh, a great deal of courage. This next uh, slide shows you the front entrance of St. Anthony's Shrine in Boston. And during my years in Boston, I would often go down there for confession. And uh, this was during those three years when I was having the repeated vocal surgeries and uh, things just got so discouraging that um, months would go by without any active ministry. And I remember going in there to confession to this Franciscan priest who was uh, such a gift to me that day. And in the whispery voice, which was all that I had at the time, I made my confession and sharing my discouragement and the sense of burden at not being able to exercise active ministry. And um, his response was bracing. I'm still grateful for it. He said, uh, all of that's true. And I know how hard that can be. And I don't want to minimize that. But if you can't exercise active ministry with your voice, exercise ministry in the other ways that are available to you. You can do a lot with the internet, email, email and all the different possibilities uh, through online ministry. And you can do the writing, uh, which I had mentioned to him. Actually, that was the time when I wrote the biography of Venerable Bruno. Well, that was the approach of Venerable Bruno himself. In times of physical struggles, he never let these simply stop him, but he would find a way to go forward in the Lord's work. I think he's a wonderful source of encouragement to any of us who may be dealing with physical sufferings in various ways. There is a way to love and serve the Lord in conditions of health of that kind. And then we'll move to the conclusion of the letter. I do not have time to remain longer with you in this letter as I would desire. And so I conclude by recommending myself to your holy prayers and blessing you and have the honor of being your servant and father in Jesus Christ, Father Bruno and Terry, etc. Now, the next piece is a piece that I love to do. And um, so we're just going to dive into it. You can tell from the name that he gave our congregation, the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, that Mary was very dear to him. <clears throat> <clears throat> and I want to explore just briefly uh, together with you what Mary meant in his spiritual life and what she can mean in ours, the difference that Mary can make. He died on August 5th, 1830, as uh, we saw in the video, if you were able to watch that. The following day, August 6th, one of the, his companions, a father, Antonio Ferrero, one of the first um, oblate priests, sat down and wrote a letter to this priest, whose cause of canonization is also underway now, Father Giovanni Battista Rubino, who was a good friend of Venerable Bruno and the Oblates. Now, the way things were done in Venerable Bruno's time, uh, a funeral mass was celebrated shortly after the death of the person, but the, the real prayer and sort of formal, more solemn prayer for the person took place 30 days after the person's death. And for this Mass, which they knew was going to be a large Mass with the bishop and priests and a lot of people, they asked this uh, priest, Father Giovanni Battista Rubino, who was a good preacher and knew Venerable Bruno, to give what would be a fairly developed sermon, 
speaking about the life of Venerable Bruno. And in order to give him the information that he would need for that talk, Father Cuidero sat down the day after Venerable Bruno died and wrote a fairly lengthy letter to Father Rubino in which he gave him the information about Venerable Bruno that Father Rubino would need in order to give this sermon. And we still have today that letter, which is a great gift to us because Father Ferrero lived together with, uh, in the community with Father, uh, with Venerable Bruno for the last three years of Venerable Bruno's life. In fact, was his confessor in the last weeks of his life. So we have a firsthand witness. And in the course of those pages, he dedicates some space to Venerable Bruno's love for the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that's those are the sentences that we'll take a look at together now. So he begins by saying that Venerable Bruno loved the Virgin Mary deeply. Now, that's my English translation from the Italian original. This is the Italian, era innamorato di Maria Vergine. And you can see this Italian word innamorato there. Uh, you see the, the Latin amor or love. He was uh, innamorato di Maria Vergine. Now, in Italian, when a young man falls in love with a young woman, he is said to be innamorato of that young woman. And when she falls in love with him, she is said to be innamorata uh, with regard to him. So that when Father Ferrero writes that Venerable Bruno was innamorato, di, uh, of, uh, innamorato of the Virgin Mary, basically what he's saying uh, most literally is he was in love with the Virgin Mary. She was the love of his life. She was his lady, as he'll call her with a capital L, whom he wants to serve. And um, she was the feminine presence which brought warmth into his spiritual life. And there were deep reasons for this. His mother died when Venerable Bruno was four. And in the latter years of his life, he said on a few occasions to uh, his oblates, I have hardly known any other mother than Mary, and I have never received anything but caresses from so good a mother. But I've, I've just given the first part of that sentence because we don't want to go by it too quickly. Here was a young boy whose mother was taken away from him too soon, and the feminine was never really replaced uh, in his life. And that, that void, that need that is there in every young child's life, and I'd say in, in you never outgrow it. Um, for the love of a maternal presence, the warmth, the safety, the security, the tenderness of a maternal presence was taken away and Mary filled that space in his heart. We don't know the exact circumstances, but his father, when Venerable Bruno um, was four at the death of his mother, took him before probably some image of Mary. There's a painting in one of the churches that is classically said to have been the painting, pointed to the image of Mary and said, she will be your mother from now on. And this young boy took this in very deeply. Mary was there very profoundly from the very beginning of his life. Father Ferrero continues, he put up pictures of her everywhere, uh, which is to say that if you were around the apartment where he lived for so many years, and then later when uh, he founded the Oblates in community, you'd probably be seeing uh, a statue of Mary, a painting, an icon. You'd be seeing uh, pictures or images of Mary 
uh, around about. He wants to be reminded of Mary. Uh, this is a photo, uh, photograph of the refrigerator. Um, as my mom, now a grandmother, began putting up uh, photos of her grandchildren, eventually it got so every inch of the space on the refrigerator was covered. And we've all seen uh, these, these kind of, we probably have them ourselves with their variations. Uh, the pictures of people who are dear to us, of whom we want to be reminded, family, close friends, those who have gone before us in our families, And this is Venerable Bruno. He wants images of Mary around him so that even visually as he goes through the day, he's frequently going to be reminded of the one he loves so much. Let me ask, do you have images of Mary around? As you uh, live your day at home or in the various spaces that are private or you're free to organize them as you wish, you have images of Mary paintings, icons, statues, you see her throughout the day. And what would happen if we did? Just that constant reminder of Mary, just always kind of a background there as we go throughout the day. There are three images of Mary that are especially, well, special, dear to me. Uh, one is this image, Our Lady of Tenderness. And I use this as wallpaper on my uh, phone and desktop on my computer. So I'm seeing this all day long and I love it. I love the tenderness that you see between mother and child there. And I'm just happy to see that repeatedly throughout the day. Our Lady of Guadalupe, I have an image of her in my breviary. Uh, that's also very special to me. And then the image of Mary that uh, I put up as we began, Our Lady of Consolation, because of all that that means for me in terms of Venerable Bruno. And I just like it. So. What images of Mary do we love? And we put them up so that we'll be seeing Mary frequently throughout the day. So just some ways that I've seen people do this in an office, on a wall at home, in a dining room, again, an office, an office, another room, a hallway, We put up pictures of her everywhere. Please God, we can do something like this in a way that's fitting for us, that will remind us of Mary. Now, can you see, Venerable Bruno is always really concrete and practical about the spiritual life. As you see, he doesn't simply say to Gabriella, for example, uh, it'd be good if you could try to give some time to prayer every day. Well, that's true, but it's not gonna be very helpful for her. So what he does is to say, get to mass as often as you can, 15 minutes of meditation, a page of spiritual reading, the examine prayer while your hands are busy and so forth. And that, as we said earlier, it's doable. You can get your hands on that. You can put it into practice, you can sustain it. And we're seeing the same thing here in terms of his love, love for Mary. What you would not hear him say if you went to him and asked, how can I go closer to Mary? He would not simply give you a generality. Well, devotion to Mary is good. The church approves of it. It's very helpful. Um, get closer to Mary. Find ways to get closer. No, he'll, he'll do, he'll get much more specific than that. And we've just seen a few of the things that he might say. He might ask you, do you ever have images of Mary around? Uh, and maybe could you do that? 
He had a precious collection of books that speak of her and read from them for a few hours every week. Now, what happens uh, when you enter a person's home? I know these days you may have fewer hard copies uh, books around. So maybe some of this gets transferred now to apps on a phone and things like that. But let's just stay with books for a moment. You enter a person's home or apartment and you look at the bookshelf. And by what you see there, you can tell what a person's interests are. Maybe there um, is a shelf of books about gardening uh, or golf or a different sport or politics or history uh, or whatever it might be. You can see from the books that a person has what the person's interests are. Now, what happens if that person reads for one or two hours a week from that bookshelf? What's gonna to happen to Venerable Bruno's love for Mary, his relationship with Mary, when it's being nourished like this by one or two hours of this kind of reading every week? Obviously, it's never going to remain static. It's always, as we've said earlier, it, from a reading and meditation, it will be fresh and young and new and alive. New understanding of Mary, a deeper perception of what, let's say, her immaculate conception means, helping him to celebrate that feast in a new way. A deeper understanding of the church's doctrine about Mary, a deeper penetration into the passages about Mary in scripture, uh, a deeper understanding of how different saints or church fathers have related to Mary and so forth. And this is what Venerable Bruno wants to take place in his devotion with Mary. He wants it to be growing constantly throughout his life. And this is one key means and that is to take some time every week for an hour or two just to get close to Mary through this kind of reading. Now, obviously today, this expands to the digital means that are available to us. I will say we have probably more good reading on Mary now than has ever been the case before. There is an abundance of very fine reading about Mary, certainly the church's teaching and documents. John Paul II has written a great deal, but also, secondary literature, just people who love Mary and have written about her, Mary in the Bible, Mary in the life of the church, various devotions to Mary, consecration to Mary, and so on. I think we all know how widely widespread these are today. So whether it be written sources, whether it be podcasts, whether it be conferences on YouTube, things on forums from the Augustine Institute, etc., we have such a richness of sources. Choose the ones that are most helpful to you. And would you consider every week spending a little time getting to know Mary better in this way? I have no doubt at all that if you do, you will have an experience like Venerable Bruno's. You will find that Mary is becoming increasingly alive for you, increasingly a spiritually rich presence in your life. And when that happens, wonderful things happen. The main thing that Mary does today is the same thing she did during her own lifetime. She brings Jesus to us. She is the channel through whom Jesus comes to us. And with that, everything can happen in the spiritual life. And if we've been at all um, following Pope Francis as he's been speaking about the virus and how to deal with it, we're well aware that he has turned repeatedly to Mary, certainly in this month of May, inviting us to pray the rosary and those two additional prayers that he gave us, which you can easily find online. So get to know Mary get to know her more week by week. He celebrated her novenas. Now, 
uh, novena is a nine-day prayer. And what this means is that Venerable Bruno, as different Marian feasts would come, he, let's say, let's take the assumption, we have some uh, of his writings that show us this. So this is August 15th. He will begin nine days earlier and pray each day for a few minutes, a novena in preparation for the liturgical feast. Now, what happens when the liturgical feast itself comes when it's been prepared like this? And we can see him doing this for the Immaculate Conception on December 8th, for the Feast of Mary, the Mother of God on January 1st, and so, so on through the, at least the major Marian feasts in the course of the year. With that kind of preparation, what happens then is that the feast is lived much more profoundly. It's a beautiful thing. If on August 15th, we recall that today is the Assumption of Mary, maybe we pray a bit uh, in that regard. Maybe we can get to Mass, well, certainly on a whole, as a Holy Day of Obligation, uh, we, we would do that. That's already a beautiful thing. But what happens if we for nine days have been looking forward to that feast and praying for it, asking Mary's intercession, we're obviously going to live it with a whole new depth. So this aspect of Venerable Bruno's love for Mary indicates that he wanted his devotion to Mary to be liturgically nourished, nourished by the church's liturgy, the official public prayer of the church, which is actually the high point of the church's prayer, the liturgy. Uh, and he wants to live that deeply. And we have beautiful Marian feasts throughout the year. We live them well. This is going to bring us closer and closer to Mary as well. He spoke, Father Ferrero says, very frequently about her. All right, let's look at that uh, very frequently. This uh, lengthy word is the Italian original, frequentissimamente. Let's unpack that word. So in Italian, if you want to say frequent, the adjective frequent, this is the word, frequente. If you make it an adverb and you want to say frequently, then you say frequentemente. So somebody who speaks uh, frequently about something, this would be the word that we would use. He speaks frequentemente about um, politics. If you want the comparative then of the adverb, then you want to say more frequently, this is how you do it in Italian, più frequentemente. So if you want to say that this man, for example, speaks frequently about politics, but more frequently about sports, then you'd say he speaks più frequentemente about sports. And if you want the superlative of the adverb, then it's this word that Father Ferrero uses, frequentissimamente, in other words, uh, the most frequently uh, imaginable. In other words, if you were around Venerable Bruno uh, and in conversation with him, it wouldn't be long before you'd be hearing about Mary. And this would be very natural. You'd sense that there's nothing forced about this. As Jesus says in the Gospels, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, he would be speaking about Mary because he just loves her so much. We tend to speak about the things that we really love. I remember once that I worked together with a man for maybe three or four years. And uh, I'll, I'm just going to choose a location here. Let's say California. And um, he was from California. And um, I realized before long, fairly quickly actually, that uh, any conversation that I had with this man was going to go roughly in this way. That is that 
it would, uh, wherever it began, whatever the uh, point of origin of the conversation was, uh, before very long, and usually not very long, we would be speaking about California. Just because he loved it so much, something we'd say would remind him of a place, somebody met there, something about it that was important to him. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When Venerable Bruno speaks often about Mary, frequentissimamente about Mary, it's just because of the deep love for her in his heart. And they would be the kind of words that you would instinctively respect, you'd want to hear, and which would awaken in you a sense, you know, maybe it's time for me to get closer to Mary. And certainly he did this for many people during his life and through his legacy continues to do so today. He spoke very frequently about her. He said that it is necessary to lead people not only to devotion to Mary, which clearly he wanted, but also to a great confidence in her, not just a confidence, but a great confidence. It's very instructive for me to watch the church respond to this time of virus. And you see in one country after another, United Kingdom, Italy, uh, here in the United States, Canada, you see bishops renewing the consecration of their nation to Mary, asking her protection and her assistance in this time of need. It's always been the church's instinct that in time of need, we turn to Mary. Venerable Bruno wants to inspire in us this great confidence in Mary. Three times in my life, I have found myself in situations that at the time seemed desperate to me. I just didn't see how things could turn out well. And instinctively, I, I'm still, I'll be forever grateful to my parents for raising us with devotion to Mary. They prayed the daily rosary, as I think I mentioned earlier, we said it together as a family. The parish to which we belonged was Most Holy Rosary, and the nuns also inspired uh, devotion in Mary, in, in us, uh, devotion to Mary. And I, I just find that in times that seem desperate, it's almost like an instinct on the spiritual level that my heart turns to Mary and I ask for her help. And this is very much the mind of the church. We have this classic prayer attributed to St. Bernard of the Memorari. If you know it, you can say this. I will just look at the first half of it. You can say it out loud together where you, where you sit. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never, look at the word there, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. And that's the sure confidence of the church it's never been known that anyone who ever turned to Mary was left unaided. I'm reminded as I'm saying this of the um, talk that Monsignor Ronald Knox, this wonderful priest who was chaplain at Oxford, convert and a chaplain at Oxford, uh, gave to the, the students at the end of the year when he said to them, you're probably going to, as they were graduating, you'll probably forget a lot of what I have said to you over these years, but I, I beg of you, in what lies ahead, never forget two things. No matter what situation you may find yourself in, you can always turn to Jesus. He'll always be there for you with, with open arms. And then secondly, no matter what trouble or difficulty or danger or struggle you may ever find yourself in in life, turn to Mary. She'll never let you down. 
And this is the faith of the church. It never was known that anyone who fled to that protection and so forth was left unaided. When his oblates, as I'm doing now, uh, gave talks, he always wanted that we give a talk on Mary in the course of the presentation. So in a sense, I'm being faithful to him in doing that now, but it's, uh, of course I do it because I wanna be faithful to him, but it's something that I would do willingly in any case, just because of the difference that Mary makes. So that when his oblates would give retreat, retreats and all he taught to preach, he would ask them to speak on Mary. He spoke of her as his mother, three titles, that three ways in which he spoke of Mary. He spoke of her as his mother, as the one who nurtured him, and as his paradise. He spoke of her as his mother. And we mentioned this, how this is deeply instilled in him already at the age of four and will remain deep in his heart for the rest of his life. I have hardly known any other mother than the Virgin Mary. All that deep need that's in every one of our hearts for the presence of a mother, for the tenderness, the warmth, the security, uh, the way to be known the way a mother knows us with such love and understanding. All of that in his heart was poured out on the Virgin Mary. It's my conviction, each of us can see um, if this rings true in his or her heart. But it's my conviction that no matter how old we get, we never outgrow the need for a mother. Uh, for that kind of feminine, maternal, and loving presence. And God, who knows that, uh, has, has given that to us in the order of grace. This is the way the Second Vatican Council speaks of Mary, speaks of her as our mother in the order of grace, in the order of grace, spiritual life. So, we have a mother in the order of our vocation, living our vocation as husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, priests, religious, lay people, single condition in the world, various forms of consecration. As we live that, we have a mother. We're not just left alone on our own to do this. As we try to pray, we have a mother in the order of grace, one who is there at our side and can help us. As we try to live Jesus' words, put them into practice in our lives as we struggle against our failings and imperfections and weaknesses. Uh, in all of this, we're not alone. We have a mother. How, how could you not turn to Mary? How could you not want to turn to this kind of, the word is too weak, but it's the one that comes to me, this kind of resource in the spiritual life. Better this kind of relationship or communion. Best yet, this kind of love that's always there, always open to us, always available. And this is my image at this point. And I speak with reverence because I know this can touch deep things in our hearts. Two young children come home from school. In one home, the mother is there and the other for whatever, let's say legitimate reason, the mother is not there. Both of them will play, um, have their meal, do their homework, the different things that will the afternoon and evening of the day, but it's very different in the one case and the, and the other. When the mother is there, there's a, there's, there's a central presence. There's a warmth, a safety, a security, a tenderness. And that's what Mary is and is meant to be in our spiritual lives. That's what the church is saying when the church speaks of Mary as our mother in the order of grace. 
And that's what Venerable Bruno experienced throughout the entirety of his life. She was the mother, the maternal presence, the warmth, the tenderness. In fact, if you look through his writings, this is the one place where you find Venerable using this kind, Venerable Bruno using this kind of tender feminine uh, language. It's when he speaks of Mary and it is very warm and very tender as he writes of her. This is in the last weeks of his life. He was in the internal garden at the center of the cloister of the community. And this brother Pietro Gardetti was with him. Many years later in his seventies, brother Pietro wrote down brief recollections uh, of these events. They're really beautiful. In fact, I think they're almost the most um, telling witnesses that we have of uh, Venerable Bruno because it's firsthand, it's simple, it's unstudied. Pietro uh, didn't have much education. He was a tailor's assistant before he entered the community and always did rather uh, humble manual kind of work. Um, you can't help but like him as you read these, these few pages that we have conserved from him. They're grammatically incorrect and misspellings, but, but very genuine and from the heart. On this particular day, they were there together in the inner courtyard of the of Cloister. And um, Venerable Bruno was seated. They were praying the rosary. Uh, Brother Pietro, young man, uh, probably not even 20 yet at this point, kneeling beside him as they were saying the rosary together. At one point, Venerable Bruno interrupted the prayer and just uh, turned to the brother and asked, who was the lady who was just here with us? And the brother in all simplicity said, um, well, the, Father, this is a cloister. There, there are no ladies here. And Venerable Bruno said no more and resumed the prayer of the rosary. And on more than one occasion in his last illness, already confined, confined to his bed and suffering and struggling physically through these weeks, sometimes with ups and downs, he told Father Ferrero um, that there was a beautiful lady holding a beautiful child who never left him. And it seems then that just as Mary was the presence that eased the pain of this four-year-old child who has lost his mother, she was also the warm, maternal, and loving presence that eased the pain of these last weeks that prepared his entrance into eternal life. After his death, a layman who knew him well described his life as a long and painful career. And of course, look at the times of the church, his physical health, just all the many things he dealt with. Mary was the presence that eased the burdens, that warmed and made more livable, that gave consolation in the struggles. She was uh, his mother with all of that richness throughout his life. He spoke of her as the one who nurtured him. Now the word in Italian here is nodrice, which is a, a word applied to one who assists, nurtures, nurses, accompanies a child in the first year or two of life. So again, this is very warm and tender language. And Mary has that place in his life. Uh, the one who is so sensitively, lovingly, warmly, even tenderly, close to him in the hurts and struggles uh, throughout the 71 years of his life. She's always there and he sees her in that light, experiences her in that light, and then speaks of her as his paradise. 
she is the one in whose presence the sorrows of life diminished, and he found strength, peace, and joy to go forward. So today, I, I hope as we continue to go through um, some of the teaching and the experience of Venerable Bruno, I hope among other things that this peace will remain with us. What place does Mary have in our lives? Um, the place that she has, I'm sure, is precious to us because we know what it, what it meant, what a difference it can make. Are there ways, simple ways, that don't burden our lives gently and with peace, as he always would say, but which could help us get closer to Mary? If we do that, I think we're going to find that wonderful things are going to come from that. Uh, grace flows where Mary is present. Now, We've been going for almost 50 minutes here. Um, I think we should probably take our 10 minute break here. So let's take our 10 minute break here. And when we come back, I have some uh, final pieces that I wanna share and then we'll have time for questions and we'll conclude with a brief exercise of prayer. So Father Coulter, I'll pass this over to you. Thank you again, Father Gallagher, for the wonderful talk and the, you know, sharing that devotion to Mary.